Okay. Hello, hello, hello. Do you need to turn that down? Oh, why was I hearing it? I don't know. <laughs> hey everybody and welcome back to Night Shift. Uh, I am Andrea Uplate and I'm joined with BC Sanders and this is Night Shift with Andrea Uplate. This is a true crime podcast. Um, we are a live YouTube show that also drops as a podcast wherever you stream. So sometimes you will hear us chit-chatting with each other or engaging with our buddies in the chats. Um, come be our buddy. Come get in the chats. Hey, everybody. I'm seeing some friends now. Carly, Bosco, Bill, Clark. Uh, Teresa's in there. If I missed anybody, sorry. Miss Bosco. Oh, hey, Miss Bosco. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, welcome welcome back, everyone, ourselves. It's been, yeah. uh, I haven't <laughs> taken two weeks off in a while, and it was kind of nice, guys, to not have a show to think about for a couple of weeks. But we're back and ready to get to it. How are you, BC? Oh. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Just don't let that earthquake knock the uh, desk. Oh, no. no, I'm good. Uh, I'm glad that you invited me on tonight. Yes. And that it wasn't a mistaken text that I yes. misread. And, Never. Uh, so Andrea sent me a text that just said, in reference to something else, do you want to guess? G-U-E-S-S. Yes. I thought she was saying, do you want to like be a guest tonight? And so I got excited and thought I was going to be a guest for a couple of hours. And then she gets home and explains to me, she wanted me to guess what we were talking about before. Then she took a little pity on me and said, come okay, on, you could be, you could be a guest tonight. You can be a guest. Come on. Oh my. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, you guys, if you're not familiar, BC is, one half of a podcast called The Disruptors Podcast with BC and Ski, uh, where they just kind of engage with engaging people. And they always wrap it up with some movie and book references at then. It's um, a really fun show. So you should go check that out. Subscribe to their YouTube channel as well. Uh, we will talk about all of that stuff as we start to wrap up this show. Um, and then, of course, we each have an Instagram handle by our same names, by these by these. Uh, handles, if you will. So tonight I'm covering a case that I have covered, uh, I think twice before I had to think about that earlier and, uh, season one on my prior network, I covered it about a year ago. And then I did like a little mini Patreon stint about it. Uh, not too much longer after that, but it's a really interesting case to me. Uh, I don't know if you were very well aware of this case prior to I mean, I guess the first time I covered it, but yeah, the first time you covered it, I had never heard about the case before that. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think we've talked about it a little here and there, but, but not a whole lot. Um, not since, and that was, you know, it's been a little while. Yeah. So, so there have been minor updates since I first talked to, I've got to take these things off. If I can't see, I can't see, but, uh, since I first talked about it, but in saying that to you guys, it is unsolved. It's a case from 2011. It's not just unsolved. It's just horrific. And um, uh, as always, I would like to get your opinions on it as we kind of wrap it up and try to get through all the details we can. You're going to potentially see a similarity in this case and another case, um, not necessarily in victimology, but in 
um, the scene as it is. So we'll talk about that. Um, but I think we should go on and dig right in. What say you? I say do it. Yeah. Especially since you took your glasses off. And you can see well, it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'm really hitting that in between, guys, where I don't know. Sometimes glasses, sometimes not. Um, I don't know. We'll see. They might go on and off throughout the night. All right. So if you are a new listener also and haven't um, been graced with BC's presence on a podcast, he is a retired homicide lieutenant. So that always offers some great insight when we talk about these cases and um, how investigations should go, how they tend to go, um, and how how these crimes are solved, or sometimes not. So we're going to dig right in. We're going to be talking tonight, everyone, about Bill and Peggy Stevenson. So Bill and Peggy Stevenson lived in northern Kentucky. So this is like Boone County, Kentucky, um, not too far from like a Cincinnati area, um, just kind of on up there north. They were both 74 years old at the time of this crime, and they had been married for decades. They had gotten married in the 50s. Um, so in 2011, they'd been married over 50 years. Um, and a little bit about them. So this was not a super huge town. Bill had grown up with, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 15 siblings. So mm. Bill grew up in a very large family with a large sibling set um, out in rural Boone County. Uh, Peggy grew up there as well as they became adults and got married uh, in their 20s in the 50s. Um, they settled into the town. They wound up raising three children of their own. They wound up having grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Now, Peggy was known to be, um, you know, kind of demure. She was quiet, a bit more introverted, but always just golden. So everyone said that she was extremely kind, thoughtful, giving, uh, wonderful lady. She played organ and piano at their church. And outside of that, she kind of kept to her home. She would go do things with family and whatnot, but she mainly stayed home she had a few uh, health problems, so nothing incredibly serious, but she had fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis and some things that did debilitate her minimally. So she was not always out and about town. And I think that that also just kind of fit her demeanor a little better. Bill, however, was known as the life of the party. So he would go, uh, I think he had like a weekly fishing date with his buddies, a weekly lunch date with his buddies. He founded all these nonprofit organizations that we'll talk about, but he always, you know, you meet people sometimes that uh, you joke that they're the mayor of the town because everywhere they go, they know someone um, always talking to people, patting them on the back. I know someone just like that. That might happen. So um, let's see here decals bosco's talking about decals we'll talk about that mm. was he supposed to get decals did you send your address bosco send it again I, I messed up i messed up did he send it to you he sent directly to me okay send it to me I, i'm the I, one who sent the stuff out i messed up but i'm sorry i did I, <laughs> it's okay he, he sent that night okay we'll text, get yours out we'll text. get yours out tomorrow um and so uh so that's kind of Bill and Peggy in a nutshell. Uh, we've got the the introvert and the life of the party. So Bill eventually was 
pretty much labeled at this point as partially retired. He worked for an insurance company there, but very, very minimally, very part time. And so he, like I said, spent most of his time on these nonprofits and, and other things that kind of filled his heart. He enjoyed volunteer work and he enjoyed um, ministry work. So he was very involved in their church. And with this, he kind of spread that throughout the community. All right. So Bill opened something called the Truckers Chapel. Um, the Truckers Chapel ministry is a place where truck drivers, uh, as they are traveling the country, can stop and hear the word. So they can hear it's usually non-denominational, um, but they can kind of hear the word on a Sunday. And this helps if they're traveling through, obviously, and don't know where certain churches are. Or maybe it's certain times of the week that churches aren't open. A lot of times you can contact whomever owns the building directly and they'll open it up for you. In this case, it was like a trailer that Bill owned and operated and he had owned it for 25 years and was known to open it up to hundreds and hundreds of truckers over the years. Everyone in that community seemed to think very, very highly of Bill as well. Um, and this is, this was really kind of his life's blood. He also organized and founded a clothing and food donation ministry. Um, just literally, you know, the, 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 the joke now, I think amongst like true crime podcast is the whole, you know, adage of, you know, they, they would light up a room when they walk in and these people fit that mold entirely. There's not, I've not heard one account of anyone speaking anything ill of Bill or Peggy um, Stevenson. So, so that's that this trucker's chapel, at least at the time of Bill and Peggy's death, I believe there were maybe like a hundred throughout the country. Um, but that's what he did. Now we will talk more on this, but keep in mind that Bill was very safety conscious too. So in all of the ways that he was outgoing and boisterous and never met a stranger, he also was very protective of his family and his home. So he was very well known to not disclose where he lived and, you know, um, things like this. He would not let people borrow things of his that would show his address or certain bank account numbers or, you know, so he would sometimes hand cash or go pick up someone and take them where they needed to go. But never did he invite any of these strangers to his home. Uh, and this was something that his family members spoke about. So it's something that Bill had spoken about just a very um, great precaution that he took across the board. So we have this trucker's chapel and now it's May of 2011. All right. So it's like Memorial Day weekend, 2011. Bill and Peggy have a daughter named Beth. At this time they had, well, they had three grown children. I believe it was two boys and a girl, but Beth had her own family and Beth's daughter, their granddaughter had graduated high school the night before on a Friday night of this Memorial Day weekend. So that would have been May 27th. Bill and Peggy were there at the graduation. So that weekend, Beth and her daughter were driving around town trying to find supplies because they were going to have a graduation party for Beth's daughter the next weekend. All right. So Saturday comes and goes. The graduation was Friday night. It's Saturday now. Uh, no one saw Bill or Peggy on Saturday, but they were able to they did speak with them on the phone. So Sunday morning rolls around and it's like any other day. It's Sunday, May 29th of 2011. All right. And Bill and Peggy don't show up to church. So I kind of explained everything I did prior to kind of help and give an understanding of the fact that this was very abnormal, very out of the ordinary. So even if 
you know, maybe Peggy wasn't feeling her best, Bill would have still very likely gone per their family. Um, if they were both not going to attend, everyone says that they would have let someone know. So they would have not just not shown up and not spoken with anyone. But this didn't cause immediate alarm, I will say, but it did raise some hairs on the back of the neck for Beth, for their daughter. So as she is driving around with her daughter uh, looking for those graduation supplies, she's calling mom and dad, calling mom and dad, can't get them on the phone. And it's just like, you know what? So she calls her husband, their son-in-law, and she says, honey, would you just go check on mom and dad? Just, you know, make sure they're good. I'm afraid mom's sick or something. So her husband, Beth's husband, goes straight over to the condo. Now, Beth, or excuse me, Peggy and Bill lived in um, kind of a quiet condo area, um, kind of some larger, great retirement age or older age people condos. So uh, it was tucked in the back of kind of a neighborhood. You'd have to kind of drive very purposefully to get back there. And it's a situation that we will revisit the logistics of getting to their particular door, but you would have to park and then walk through kind of a breezeway and then be buzzed to be kind of let in back to where they would be. So you can't just walk straight up to them and, and get into their home. So uh, Bill, Oh, sorry. Bosco said he also sent it to me on December 13th. Anyway, sorry, Bosco. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Publicly shamed. Completely, completely fumbled. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, so her husband goes to check on Bill and Peggy, and he immediately stumbles upon a very um, terrible scene. And BC, I will in a moment take a break so you can get a few words in edgewise about this case, but um, Bill gets there. He basically immediately calls authorities because of what he stumbles upon. Uh, authorities get there and they find an extremely gruesome scene. So Bill and Peggy had been murdered in their home. Um, they had been bludgeoned and stabbed. So later police will say that they think that this was a fairly abrupt um, attack. Uh, there wasn't a lot of time for either one of them probably to fight back or struggle. This happened quickly, which might be the only saving grace here uh, because it only gets worse from, from here. Um, so the bodies had been, and we will differentiate between the two of these uh, definitions, but staged and posed. Okay. So, they had been moved very likely from where the attacks initially happened uh, to two different places. They were in two different rooms of the home. It has never been disclosed which rooms of the home they're in. You will find similarities when I talk to you about the um, this case being so closed-lipped about authorities not giving much detail whatsoever to us. What I, what I'm going to tell you is as much as you can find anywhere in terms of in all these years, anything that's been released. And even most of this doesn't come from just like um, news articles. It's not difficult to find, but you kind of have to dig a little bit because they were very, very close lipped. And this is as much as they've let out. What case does this remind you of? What crime scene did we talk about and has been on the lips of most people in America since 2017 the Delphi case. And if you remember in that one, 
Um, again, their authorities worked it very well in that sense in terms of the public not knowing anything. I mean, to the point of frustration for us, right? When we're listening, you want to, you just kind of want to know more and why, why can't we learn a little bit more? And, and this is precisely why. So investigators uh, treated this case, though this came prior to Delphi, this case was treated very similarly in that manner. So their bodies had been, like I said, bludgeoned and stabbed. They had been moved to different rooms. And from what Detective Coy Cox uh, has said his name is C.O.Y. Coy Cox, and he has been on this case since the beginning. In fact, he stated that he will not retire until it's solved. Um, I said that last year when I covered this case. He still says the same thing. Um, this one is very near and dear to him. And so he says that um, it was a very bloody scene, as you can just imagine by the nature of the crime. So we also know that there was a post-mortem stabbing to at least one of the victims. We've not been told if it was both or not. They for sure say at least one. And they believe this post-mortem stabbing to have occurred approximately two hours after the person had died. Mm -hmm. So that's a very long time. I mean, that's your, we talk about people being brave or spending a lot of time, mm -hmm. but a, a, a post-mortem wound that occurred two hours yeah, uh, there was one source, and I apologize, I can't remember which one, that said two to potentially eight hours. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Oh, sorry. You're fine. I did not mean to mess that up. No, you're fine. So I'll tell you not to research Cage before. You're right. No, you're right, though. There's a lot of, we're going to talk about a lot of time that this person was here in a moment. Mm. Um, were you going to say something else? Mm -mm. <laughs> no, no. I, well, no, I was going to say that, that. Well, when we get into it later. Okay. About the level of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, we know that some interesting things had happened. So pictures had been moved and turned around. So when I say like the house was a scene in and of itself, I mean the entire home. So investigators will come back to say later, every single room <clears throat> was touched. They had done something to it. So pictures, we know that pictures in picture frames, some were marked upon. Um, I think they didn't specify with a marker or not, but they were marked upon. Some things gave an example or gave a, a description of maybe um, like faces and certain family photos had been scratched out. That's about as much as we know about that. We certainly don't know who that family member would have been or what was used to scratch it out um, or cover it up or mark over it, something of that sort. Uh, they describe some photos as being like folded. So let's say that you have, um, you know, a family photo and it's got everyone in your family that you want in it, maybe except for one now. So you take that one, fold it back, right? Mm -hmm. That can be done. So they kind of describe it kind of like that. Um, so pictures turned around, some pictures turned around to face, like face the wall. So you just get the back of the picture. You're not seeing it at all. Um to the point of uh, like kitchen drawer items rearranged. And this was confirmed later by family members who could tell you that that was exactly the case. But I mean, I'm talking time was taken and, and nothing was left untouched in this home, including uh, sadly Bill and Peggy's bodies. So we know that they spent hours there uh, to your point earlier, between four and eight hours, at least uh, there is even a thought that maybe 
the killer or killers, and we'll say why I say that in a moment, could have left and come back um, is in one train of thought. We do know that one of the victims, they've still not said who, um, my guess would be Peggy just based on her other health problems, but maybe not, had an implanted medical device. And because of this, it allowed authorities to directly pinpoint the time of the murder. So that's valuable information. I talked about that the first time that I covered this case and something like that is gold, something a lot of us wouldn't necessarily think about, right? But this lends to so much information for them that leaves that without even being a question. Um, so they have the murder placed between 1 and 4 a.m. there on the 29th. So between 1 and 4 a.m. the murder took place. Um, the thought is that potentially it was someone that Bill knew because there was no sign of any forced entry and you do have to buzz to get in. Um, and I spoke earlier on how Bill was known to not let people that they know know where they live. So maybe, you know, and we'll get into all the maybes here in a moment, but maybe not necessarily one of the truckers, maybe somebody like that he knew, knew that knew where he lived. Um, so, <laughs> you want to talk about that crime scene a little bit now? <clears throat> yeah. The mm -hmm. fact that, so you have two adults that if my facts are right, are murdered in their home, no signs of forced entry. They have to be buzzed. The person would have to be buzzed into the building. Um, <clears throat> they're murdered. And then one or more than one person is moving the bodies around <clears throat> potentially staging or posing right the crime scene so you've mentioned like the difference between staging mm -hmm. and posing and i that's why i like when you cover cases because you talk about things like that so when someone is staging a crime scene like maybe with the pictures or whatever Okay. Could potentially be something like, I want investigators to focus on mm -hmm. this relative or who hates this relative the most, a cousin or whatever. And so you scratch that person's face out. So that would be more of the staging. The posing, and I I didn't get to research it as deeply as you did, but I don't know what all the markings would have been. Or we don't how. know. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, very, very tight lips. So if I haven't said it, it's because they've not let it be known. Good. And and I know like in reading it, um, I do want to say one of the things I jotted down was the the lead detective, Coy Cox, mm -hmm. it, it every interview and, and article that he was referenced, he's often saying that I'm constantly working the case. Like this mm -hmm. is not a cold case. It's, it's an old not, case. It's an old That's case. What he says. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Excuse me. <laughs> so I like, I like his perspective. It sounds mm -hmm. like. So he and his team and, and people that are working it, it's, <clears throat> it's that idea of they're only going to give away so much information, but also they're doing interviews and keeping the story alive. Mm -hmm. So I, I did kind of jot a note and I'll often when I'm making notes, I'm asking myself, why why would they release information any information and he has released some, some pertinent information and i have to say that it it keeps cases 
in the media keeps people talking about those cases because there may be something very specific that they need or right. some type of activity that they want to happen based on reactions to information they're giving out. Right. So I, often, well, I don't know if it's often, I've heard people before kind of bash police departments on stuff. And I have to put, pump the brakes too sometimes because I don't understand why people put a lot of information out there. However, it could just be a technique in this case. Um, because if I'm not mistaken, it may not, this may not be a who done it. It just may be a, they're still figuring out their people. They, they may have a pretty good idea of who a suspect or suspects right. are. So I, I kind of went off on a tangent, but mm -hmm. it's, it's that, it's that angle of it when you do interviews or when you put information out there for, for um, homicide cases, especially as the years go on, even those small bits of detail to know that the crime scene was staged, if bodies were posed, knowing what time they died, like all of that right. could potentially tip your hand in getting future evidence that someone may have or may be able to get rid of because now they know information that investigate sure and you know we won't go off on a rabbit hole about this but recently we were talking um we had a very long car ride and so we were able to talk about jean benet i've not done the jean benet story on this show as a lot of you know i don't often cover these huge stories i did like uh murdoch because it was new at the time <clears throat> when a story has had it's a huge one and it's had so many eyes on it and gone on for so so many years I guess partially I feel like I can't tell you anything that you don't already know. Um, but I, but I do like, I do want to cover it at some point. And so I've been trying to dive now for the past couple of weeks and spend a long time on each portion of the case so that if we do cover it um, in a one, two, three part series, you know, I'll, I'll be able to bring stuff to the table that either jogs my memory from, you know, forever ago uh, or things you might've forgotten so maybe we'll talk about it. But in talking about Jean Benet, you know, that's kind of the, to my point in the things that like, you'll already know all the things because all of the things are out. Yeah. I'm sure there's stuff that we don't know, but we know a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, you got evidence photos, you got yeah. uh, the interviews with her brother when he was a child, you've got the ransom note, you've got the, all of these things. And this case is not solved. Uh, by any means, yeah. you know, we don't mm -hmm. know how close they are or are not to having it solved, but, but it's stuff that the public, that's a very different way to handle a case than what we're talking about tonight with Bill and Peggy, or let's say Delphi. Um, and so, you know, and we've got somebody behind bars right now for Delphi. We'll see if he's convicted, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it speaks mm -hmm. to, and I know there's flukes, but it speaks to holding information close uh, in cases yeah. like this, yeah, particularly yeah. sensational cases like this, because mm -hmm. um, an elderly couple that was stabbed and cut up and posed and staged and whatnot in Boone County, Kentucky in 2011 is absolutely sensational. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I digress, but they have kept everything very, very tight lipped. And there's a good reason for that. So we know that just, again, given the nature of the crime, it was very, very bloody. 
Um, and Coy Cox will speak on just about that. To your point with him and the interviews, he does stay very current with interviews. He responds to anybody just about who reaches out. He's on multiple podcasts and news outlets. He's very careful to not show his hand, to not give information they've not previously released uh, to the point that sometimes he almost seems a little frustrated with himself that he can't say more, but he knows he, he knows why he can't and he won't. Um, but he's a great interviewee and uh, he, I, I really do stand behind the work that he's doing on this case because he's, mm -hmm. like you said, he's continuing to work it anyway. So that's the crime scene in a nutshell. Now let's talk a little bit about, what we have in terms of the whodunits, who are a couple of maybe people of interest over the years. Um, exactly. We've got someone in the chats. Carly is saying, um, like the U of I murders, everyone was up in arms that they didn't release info and doubled back when they caught him. I mean, it's, it, you can't please people and it's not our job to be pleased <laughs> as the public in, in a situation like well, this. That guy would still have a trial pending too. So as soon as someone's arrested, everybody wants the info, but mm -hmm. you still have to hold it. Because mm -hmm. if it goes to trial, you don't, you, you don't want that stuff released. You know, once someone goes to trial, that's when a lot yeah. of that stuff does get to come out. But yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so that's the crime scene. If you guys in the chats have any questions, let us know. But let's talk a little bit. So on the Stevenson side of the family, there was a nephew. Now, granted, there were multiple nephews and nieces and extended family members because Bill came from such a large, large family. But <clears throat> Bill had a nephew named Charles Stevenson. And in March of 2012... Charles was convicted of murder. So this was, this would have been a year, almost exactly a year after the murders of Bill and Peggy. And precisely because of his nephew going to prison for murder a year later, a lot of people get confused that this case is solved and that he was the perpetrator of this murder. He has not been charged um, with this murder whatsoever. So at the time though, <laughs> let's talk about what he did at the time he was kind of in and out of different living situations and had befriended. It depends on which source you read as to how closely they were befriended. Um, a woman named Lee Jennings. Lee at the time was 67 years old. Charles was 58 at this time, I believe. So um, they're, you know, more than middle aged at this point. They are quasi living together. I think she was kind of kicking him out at this point, but he had been borrowing a lot of money from her. Uh, it sounds like that was kind of the extent of this relationship. Um, and she, he already had like an arrangement where he was supposed to pay back another family member X amount of dollars per month, like per the court system. He was just in a financial mess. And so this woman Lee had been, uh, giving him or loaning him, I think she thought she was loaning him this money. And then <clears throat> come to find out as, as time goes on, she's about to kick him out. He's real. She's realizing he's not going to pay her back for any of this. And he winds up murdering Lee. This was not even a question. It was not contested whatsoever. I mean, his blood was on the thing, was on the body, was on the, it, it was a mess, but he murdered Lee by, bludgeoning her with a pepper grinder 
and an iron skillet, a 67 year old woman. Yeah. So we can't, we'd be remiss to not see some similarities here or kind of raise our eyebrows and think about what this might have looked like a year prior with Bill and Peggy. Now the difference is um, Charles was not particularly clean with Lee's murder. In fact, um, his blood, her blood was on the murder weapon, the skillet, and then on his hands and body when they found him not long after. So uh, it just didn't take a lot of measures to clean that up. Whereas in Bill and Peggy Stevenson's case, there was a lot of cleanup, if you will. I don't mean bleach and washcloths. I mean, things were arranged on purpose the way they were arranged. But the person or people who did this took measures to um, not let themselves be caught, if you will. Right. So that's what happened with Charles, the nephew. Uh, he did go on and get convicted. He's and went to prison for that. We also have a truck driver. Now, Coy will say, and I'm sure that you saw this in some of your stuff with Coy, that he has interviewed countless truck drivers, as you can imagine. I mean, just given um, the nomadic lifestyle that they already lead and they're in and out of every state if they were in and out of this truckers chapel that bill founded you know i mean like and then people who knew people who knew people etc so he's interviewed a ton but there was one in particular that came to light in i believe uh so this happened in 2011 in 2020 ish so i mean like nine years later finally there was the one truck driver that someone else had honed in on and called authorities and said, Hey, you need to look at this guy and gave his name. Well, that guy had been seen banging on the door to the truckers chapel um, in the days prior, one of the nights prior to Bill and Peggy's murder. He was banging on the door shouting for Bill specifically. Um, they are eventually murdered and come to find out, Pretty soon, right after the murder, this trucker leaves and moves to the West Coast. We don't find out about him existing at all until nine years after the murder. So when authorities hear about him, they track him down. It takes some time. They're able to track him down on the West Coast. Um, he was amicable. He did hand over DNA, like didn't fight him for it. Uh, but his DNA is currently in the system to be run. Um, so do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like how long does that, how long could that take for people <laughs> to run the DNA or to get a match? You mean? Yeah. Well, not to get a match, I guess, but let's say we've got, okay, so we've got this guy and mm -hmm. his DNA is put in the system. If it wasn't already previously a match with anything, yeah. if we're comparing that with some other DNA that we're going to talk about in a moment, is it, it depends on how, backed up the lab would be yes. just okay yeah it would depend on the lab it would depend on the jurisdiction and their capabilities if they have to send that sample off to a lab somewhere else or drive like a it federal whatever. lab versus a state lab maybe maybe yeah uh, you can use private labs too right so if if an agency uses a private lab they may choose to drive it out to that lab and get the results a lot faster than maybe a state lab or a federal lab like you're talking about. So 
I don't know. I mean, it varies, uh, and that's not the answer everybody wants to hear. But, yeah. yeah, but it's not unheard of, I guess, that mm -hmm. they at some point, I believe November, but don't quote me on that, of 2020, so pushing into 21. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at two, a little over two years now. That wouldn't be um, unheard of, right? No. Okay. Okay. You distracted me. I would just say Teresa K had mentioned mm. what is the likelihood that it was one person with the amount of detail done with the scene. Okay. Um, and then Bosco uh, had just said, uh, I don't know, killing and staging two people wouldn't take uh, a lot of work for one person. He said, wouldn't that take a lot of work? Or wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not a good reader either. <laughs> Math. I'm not good at and reading. Oh my well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Hey, Davey. Well, usually, I mean, if you, my voice cracked. If if you set, think there's more than one person, usually, or if, you, if you're putting information out there, which I don't think they have, they've just said it could be one suspect or more than one. But usually you have some, some kind of proof of that. You don't just usually hypothesize, kind of like in the movies where they're like, Oh, there were two people that were murdered. Therefore, you'd have to have more than one person to control. Right, them. Like, right, right. I would assume if it ends up being more than one person, there's got to be some something in the crime scene. Obviously, it hasn't been released mm -hmm. that would give us that. But I would think it would be meaning that they already authorities would already kind of be on the tail yeah. of that. Okay, and I would imagine it's not. It wouldn't be as hard if you do have to. Um, elderly citizens and one is, you know, already having some health issues, mm -hmm. you would probably attack. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, well, that's exactly to the point that um, when authorities talk about, uh, sorry for those of you who are listening again, remember this is a live YouTube show. We air every Tuesday at eight, seven central on the Andrea Uplate YouTube channel. So sometimes we do, uh, if we're at this point in a case, uh, like to engage the chat so we can either answer questions or discuss good points that people bring up that are listening to the show. And so Teresa K just said the amount of DNA waiting there in Detroit to be run is very disheartening. And a study came out 10 years ago that they are still running DNA from 10 years ago. Um, oh, years ago, they're still running from 10 years ago. Right. You know, and then we talk about cases like this. And this is the third time I've talked about this case on a podcast and I think about it, like I think about this Bill and Peggy Stevenson case quite often when I'm reading into stuff. And so it's like, just because their family wants it run, just because we talk about it and want to know, doesn't, you know, push it to the top of the line any quicker. So, um, you know, it will be when it is. But to your point about her health problems and things like that, <laughs> bless you, authorities have specifically said that the time that they were murdered is very important in the sense that it was very purposeful, meaning whomever did this absolutely intended to murder them both. They both had to die. Um, and someone went there specifically for the purpose of Bill and Peggy dying. Because remember, she was at home often. So you could often catch Peggy home alone. Let's say you just wanted to murder Peggy. You could do that isolated without Bill being around, without that struggle, without that, um, <coughs> you know, just the, the problem that would pose to have Bill home. Also, <laughs> sorry, we were both getting over being <laughs> sick. And we're like nasty coughing. Um, 
then uh, if you wanted to murder Bill, you could, you could, someone either could subdue Peggy if it was one killer. If there were two, someone could subdue Peggy while Bill is being murdered. You could, you could get her away and do that to Bill, or you could wait for him not to be home and have Peggy home alone. So investigators are very adamant that uh, Bill and Peggy both were intended targets here. And that this is exactly what they had planned mm -hmm. to do. Um, so we talked about that truck driver. I mean, you do have to, coincidences can happen and they happen all the time. And that I think thwarts a lot of um, um, tracks and trains of thoughts when it comes to investigations, because you think, How, wow, this is crazy. It's gotta be this or, you know, whatever. We did an episode a few weeks ago on the idea of tunnel vision in a homicide investigation. So you can't do that. However, you do have to look at the whole picture. And one of the things here is interesting that this trucker was banging on a door very soon after the murders moves right on away. And, uh, and then he's, he's kind of being looked at. So he has mm -hmm. been looked at as a, um, I guess they're not really calling anyone a person of interest, but he has definitely been looked at. They did at least care enough to get his DNA. So let's talk about that DNA. Investigators have said that um, this scene was, I forget how they worded it. It was, uh, this was not a crime scene. This was a scene they wanted us to see or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like everything was completely on purpose yeah. targeted for the investigators. Um, and so they talk about it being very unique in, 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 in terms of the way it was, um, staged and posed and, and whatnot. And about, um, how there was a message. So there's one time, and I I can't remember if it was Coy Cox that spoke or one of the other leads on the case, but someone, one of the investigators did say, and this could have been just a slip. It could have been essentially a misnomer, you know, just a mistake in verbiage, but said something about the killers left us a message. Um, sometimes you can read into that because depending on sources and things, it can sound like, Literally, a message was left for mm -hmm. authorities, mm -hmm. um, or they could be looking at it abstractly as the entire scene was a message for them. So it's hard to really decipher that. We don't know because they haven't said, and mm -hmm. it's not really for us to know. But we do know that DNA was found at the scene. At least one person's DNA was found mm -hmm. at the scene. Um, at least that's all they're given up at this point. We know that it was, uh, is it Paraben Labs? in Virginia can cover some of these um, like phenotyping uh, DNA type matches and things like that. And uh, unfortunately the sample that was left at the scene from the perpetrator is what they consider complex DNA. And at least at this time, not able to be rendered for like a, um, a phenotype, meaning like the genetic DNA databases and matches where we've talked about cases where you can find brothers or cousins or uncles and either do like a reverse search or, or whatnot with this DNA and kind of branch out and, and get more reach there. This DNA is not able to be um, used in that way. Mm. Um, so this would be a very more straightforward. If it's in CODIS, it'll hit a match. And if it's not, it's, it's not going to. So DNA was left at the scene. Um, and back to Charles Stevenson, that nephew who murdered his girlfriend, um, sugar mama lady, he, uh, his DNA did not match. So 
you could look at that one of two ways. I mean, if you in your brain want to put him there and involved, I mean, we know yeah. that there could have been two people that were the killers. Who knows? You know, maybe it wasn't his, but I mean, there's a few different ways you can uh, look at that, I guess. So let me read to you. Um, uh, nope, that doesn't do it either. All right, whatever. So this is the way that Koi described this scene. So Koi Cox, again, was the lead investigator. So Koi actually had had um, multiple, he had had pretty decent experience with homicides and it had multiple, uh, I think they said seven or eight very complex homicides under his belt okay. that he had investigated over the time. But by the time that Bill and Peggy were murdered, he had been deputized as a marshal, something about um, with financial stuff um, okay. in the eastern part of the state. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what he was focusing on by this point. But when they, when this scene was stumbled upon and they see how complex this is going to be, they called Koi in mm -hmm. to work it. Okay. So that's how he got involved in it mm. um, initially. So the way that he describes it... Um, uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, it says that um, we know someone spent a considerable amount of time in that home after the deaths, arranging that crime scene in such a manner that can only be described as unique. And this is actually a spokesman for the sheriff's department named Tom Shaben. Uh, he said that where the DNA was discovered, it can only come from one person and that person is going to be the murderer. Um they again, they just talk about the amount of time, and I want us to touch on that a little bit as well. But let me read to you a couple of things, and then we'll just get into a bit more of an abstract conversation about it before we wrap up for the night. Mm -hmm. um, but I did read this uh, PubMed, P U B M E D, PubMed is a great resource for, I like it for medical stuff, um, but they kind of touch on all things science. And so uh, there was even a little portion that I pulled from PubMed concerning the idea of uh, staging or positioning or uh, modeling a person's body, basically. And it says that uh, this is straight from that website. And it just says that the act of leave, leaving a victim's body in an unusual position is a conscious criminal action by an offender to thwart an investigation, shock the finder and investigators of the crime scene, or give the pleasure to the killer. So they give like three reasons why you would do that. The unusual position concepts of posing and staging a murder victim have been documented thoroughly and have been accepted by the courts now as a definable phenomenon. So I believe I touched on this the first time I covered this case, that in only like 1% of cases do we find staging and or posing of the victims or the scene. Um, it's a very minimal amount of times that something like that happens in a murder case. So this is a bit of an older study talking about up to the year 2000, but they totaled about 5,200 cases. And out of those, it says the relative frequency of unusual body dispositions is revealed as a very rare occurrence and only 1.3% of victims are left in an unusual position with 0.3% being posed and 0.1% being staged. This is where I believe in an interview many years ago, Koi Cox said that this was the 1% of the 1%. Mm -hmm. And by reading this study, I believe that that's what he means. It was already rare. And then what they did within that rarity was even more rare. So this is not something you're going to see every day or often at all. And you could easily work homicides for your whole life and never see 
anything like this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so in staged murders, the victims and killers are on average older. All victims and offenders in the staged murders are white with victims being disproportionately white in murders with any kind of unusual body disposition. Obviously all of this accounts for the case that we have in front of us now. Uh, Also when a body is left in an unusual position, binding is more likely as well as the use of more like hands-on means of killing the victim, such as stabbing, cutting weapons, bludgeons, ligatures on the hands and feet. I think that that's not a far stretch. You know, it's something we could have assumed would be the case. Um, But let me, this is where, when this first came out a couple of years ago, my mind was blown because when I first covered this case, I kept saying, um, this reminds me so much of Delphi. I didn't necessarily mean the scene of the crime, which that does as well. Once we hear posed, staged, um, the weapon was a knife, which at the time they had not disclosed that Delphi's weapon murder choice was a, was a knife. They had set a sharp object, but I think we could all kind of conclude that at the time. Um, And then we find out that in November of 2022, so just a year ago, there was a tip. And I'm going to read you Coy Cox's quote. And he says, we received some information from an individual regarding the Delphi murders in Indiana. And they had said, for all of these reasons, we believe it may be the same person that was involved in the Stevenson case, Cox said. Um. Whoa. Right. So the first time I heard that, I was blown away. So they're saying if you if you didn't catch all of that, that there's someone called in a tip in November of 2022 to the lead investigator of this Stevenson case saying that they believe there to be a link between this case and the Delphi, Indiana murders of Abby and Libby. Um, If you remember the teenage girls that were 13 and 14 in 2017, the downhill, go listen to it. It's a it's an old case. Um, and there's finally someone in jail right now awaiting trial on that. But Coy says, uh, quote, I'm not going to tell you about what that item was. So he's talking again about the tip that someone called in. He said, we've recently been in the northern part of Indiana. So he left where they were in Kentucky to go to where Delphi murders happened. He said, investigating this guy, the guy that called in, okay, following him around, looking for things, collecting all of the information and evidence that we would need to at least vet him as best as we could with our case. He was cooperative. We were able to go down that path with him, and he articulated good reason as to why that item may have existed. We don't know what the item is, but he continues to refer to an item, and then that's when the the tipster, whoever called in that whatever about the connection to Delphi, said something about an item. They go to Delphi. They walk around with this guy. He shows them what he's talking about and they trust what he says enough to continue to think that that's exactly the case. We do know that what they are talking about does not involve Richard Allen. Richard Allen is currently the man charged with Abby and Libby's deaths in Delphi. Okay. But in Delphi, that case is still open. Documents are still sealed because they still allude to the fact that they think there was a second perpetrator on that case. Okay. So I think that the running train of thought here would be that potentially the whoever's not Richard Allen in the Delphi case could potentially be one of two or the only one who had something to do with Bill and Peggy. Or at least an item could have been a bridge between the two. 
Um, that's all we have, but it's, it's really um, interesting. He says, we received information from Indiana as it related to some persons, and we forwarded that to them, meaning the Indiana State Police. He said, we did not send them information that led them to Richard Allen. We sent them information that may have had some parallel consistencies with where they are with that case right now. I know that sounds a little cloak and dagger, but I'm just sorry about that. We're not going any farther with that, meaning he's not going to give up any more of that information, nor should he. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that's wild. That one blew my socks off um, about as much as an arrest being made in Delphi. I think mm -hmm. a, that's a big deal. So in case you're curious, because I didn't know I had to look it up, but Delphi, Indiana is about uh, 400 miles. No, what is it 400? I wrote it down. 200 miles. Look at you go. Or four hours away from Boone County, Kentucky. Did you already know that? Or did you no, look I that read up? It. I read it. Yeah. <laughs> Two, yeah. So yeah. it was 200 miles away. Um, and I think that's wild. Yes. And <clears throat> oftentimes people get frustrated when murders are in the news or deaths, I'll say. And then people will get excited and they will send tips and say, I think this mm -hmm. death mm -hmm. or murder is related to this one. And then they send, sometimes it's generic information. If information gets leaked, the tips are coming in. Then the public begins to believe that the police are going to make an arrest, you know, and that. Am I doing something? <laughs> I didn't mean to. I don't know what I'm doing. Pop Nighthawks, uh, Nighthawk visuals. Hey, Jake, I was just trying to respond to y'all. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I'll post uh, Nighthawk visuals did a um, <laughs> promo video for the disruptors, which is pretty cool. And I have to, I got to figure out how to repost it. I've got it. I'm just at some point, I'm going to repost it anyway. Um, yeah, I'm pretty tardy with stuff like that. But when people get put in tips, Okay. So that's why when some of the stuff I was reading that was saying, hey, there were tips coming in that mm -hmm. these could be linked. Anytime they do follow up by that and they say, well, we're this is all we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about <laughs> any more details yeah. about this. That's usually like when everybody should just relax a little bit and be like, they are working it. They're working yep. the angles. And uh, usually if someone says, we don't have anything, they're not directly linked. They shut it down pretty quickly, usually. Yes, what I'm saying. They didn't shut yeah. this down. And and right. and they, they went to Delphi. Yeah. And he even says, I mean, his verbiage is we vetted the guy. I mean, you yeah. know, to to see how And I will say there are times when you're working a murder and you get information, you're like, This is our person. Why this gotta be our person? And then you start to follow up and you check all the details and you go, What are the what are the odds at this coincidence of an item or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not fun whenever that happens. And but you have to not get the tunnel vision like we've talked about and you have to check all your information. So tips are, are good, but historically my experience has been a lot of tips are just generic information. It's not yeah. very specific. Like, yeah, know, I mean, gun they make, yeah, they kind of make yeah. mention that this is actually very specific and yeah. they speak of an item and we don't know what they're talking about. So James Barber's in the chats and he said, is it common to find DNA at a murder scene like this where the murders have gone, where the murderers have gone through all this effort? What say you? To recover DNA. Is, is that what he said, right? Is it common to find DNA at a murder yeah. scene like this? 
Yeah, you would imagine that it would be if someone's spending hours in a condo or a home or dwelling, touching things and rearranging them. But, I mean, if they're wearing gloves, if they're wearing long sleeve shirts, you know, or shirt, whatever. And I don't think there was fight back either um, with right. Bill and Peggy. So you've got to con consider here that if the murders happened between 1 and 4 a.m., I think they have a more specific time. Uh, mm -hmm. That they haven't given us because of that medical yeah. implantation device, yeah. like let's say a pacemaker or something like that, you're going to have a time. But if if it occurred between 1 and 4 a.m. and Bill was not known to ever, in fact, he took extra measures to know that, you know, these strangers that he ministered would not know where he lived. Mm -hmm. So someone had to buzz to get into his home. So why would he let someone in that he didn't right. know? Yeah. So is it someone he knows in a way that's not the a rando regular yeah. at the trucker chapel, mm -hmm. um, someone else that he knows fully well, or, um, I mean, I read in one source, like one of the hypotheses was just like, you know, what if someone, um, almost like posed as law enforcement to get their foot in the door? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who knows, but there was no force entry and you have to buzz to get in. And yeah. it was at least at 1 o'clock a.m., mm -hmm. if not later. So they were full well in bed. You know what I mean? Yeah, more than likely in bed. So they had to wake up. And let someone and in that's buzzing. Yeah. And why would he let someone in unless he knew him? Yes. Yeah. Like he wasn't a dumb guy or naive, I should say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, um... Yeah. No, I, I'm not going to jinx him, so I'm not going to say anything about the case, whether it be solved or unsolved, but I think it is. It, it's always, it's not going to jinx them. I know, yeah. but I mean, I'm no, not, I, I believe they will. That's what I'm saying. I, think like, I don't want to, you know, but yes, just reading the, the articles and just kind of understanding there's info there. And probably what you'll find is when they do make an arrest, it'll be linked to some other murder and maybe not even Delphi. You right, know what I mean? Because right. it's so specific. Yeah. So that was 13 years ago, almost. Delphi was 2017. And they just got him in 22, potentially. And they arrested someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like there were some other things I wanted to touch on. We can always do a part two. But I just... Uh, oh, that's the thing, too. The way their condos parking is set up, like I said, you have to... Um, that's kind of why I described it at the beginning. But you have to drive kind of through not really a subdivision, but kind of through a residential area to get to where their specific condo is located. So when authorities have said more than once, Hey, look, we think that this person potentially left and came back even. Mm -hmm. um, and that could have been when the postmortem stab wounds happened again, y'all two hours. They are, they are approximating that it was two hours after they died. That someone did this. What's up? I would assume that meant, if they left, they would have some kind of key fob or something to get buzzed back in. Like I would assume that the victims have a key fob, or I don't know how this. Oh, I works. would think that if they left, they just left the door unlocked. I mean, it's who are they expecting to show up at two, three, four a.m. to Bill and Peggy's, or some kind of left I mean, something a jar or something to get back in? Oh yeah, I got you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
there just, wasn't everything I've read. There's not anything like any like little um, guy that's like, um, you know, like the little booth guy that lets you in. Right, like, I don't think there's yeah. a person that does yeah, that. I think I you, you buzz individual residences. Because, yeah. I mean, now, maybe not back then, but now, you know, <clears throat> a lot of places have those key fobs. And that can be gold because yeah. the key fob is, is documented. Yeah, there was nothing ever that. spoken of Sometimes. that um, yeah. about a key fob. Everything was like a buzz. You have to buzz to let, gotcha. buzz to let in. So I guess my assumption is literally a buzz. Who's there? So-and-so. Okay, boom. You know, and they let them in that yeah, gate and they come to you. Now, um, one thing I tried to find, um, I think I did find the brand the first time I covered the case, but uh, – were the buzzers in working order that night? Nothing mm -hmm. is said otherwise. And I would think if they weren't, we would hear. <laughs> yeah. James said he loved the hand raising. And I forgot that that happened last show that we did too. I just don't want to be polite. I know. But I thought about it. I know. <laughs> um, But, you know, like, I mean, what if the buzzer system was down for three days? Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. I know that the, they have their own keys to come in and out. So it's probably pretty easy. They just found the keys and used them. But Teresa, no, no, we don't know of anything that was taken. And that's kind of the, you know, the thing. Like, it wasn't, obviously, robbery wasn't a motive here. Um, and there were plenty of knickknacks and other little things that could be taken and turned around and sold kind of quickly at pawn shops. That's one of the things that's talked about sometimes in this case. Uh, that more specifically, we know it wasn't a robbery, but like, you know, it wasn't because nothing was taken like yeah. that. Everything was just rearranged very eerily. So, so when I say they had a lot of like trinkets and, you know, little figurines and things. Mm -hmm. And so let's say you might've had it on the coffee table in the living room. Now it might be on the counter in the kitchen. That's just a generic example, but things like that, like really just moved around in a strange way. That um, we don't know who confirmed it. I'm assuming family, anyone who would have been in the home well pictures, enough to know yeah. pictures. Right. Um, so mainly it was just like kind of like a cat and mouse, just like a toying. You yeah, know? I was gonna say it could be completely stupid, random, just moving things around. Oh, I'm gonna make. Oh it yeah, I don't think it was like even this, necessarily or... cryptic. Yeah. Yeah. I um, one of the profiles is just that this is someone who is probably very proud of what they did. They probably think they're too smart to be caught. So at some time they've probably divulged what they did to someone. So, um, it's likely that someone knows what happened. They may not even know that they know what happened here, mm -hmm. but they may have heard someone speak on something they've done. Um, that is actually this, um, you know, yeah, you know, so I don't know. I do know that we've got the number here. If you hear of anything or know of anything, and I'll put all of this up on Instagram again tomorrow. But the Boone County Sheriff's Office is 859-334-2175. Um, at the time this particular article was written, there was a $50,000 reward at one point um, when it got kind of back in the news and new mm -hmm. DNA was sampled. I think they bumped it up to $100,000 for a couple of months. But either way, like, like you said, uh, or like we've talked about, it's, it, it's active, it's ongoing. Yeah. Uh, like Koi Cox said, it's not a cold case. It's an old case, meaning he is actively pursuing leads, doing anything he can. And I think you mentioned before, um, you just can't let it sit. Like he's actively like just constantly working the case, constantly looking at new things. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm reading the chats a little bit. But anyway, I don't know. I want this one solved. I mean, obviously, 
everyone wants this solved, but um, mm-hmm. their daughter, Beth, for instance, her brothers don't speak on it too much. And she's said that before. Like we all grieve in different ways. They don't particularly want to talk about it, um, you know, in public. She, she's not really out there doing an interview circuit, but she's given some interviews here and there. And she's just, um, just kind of, she sounds a lot like her mom, just kind of a soft-spoken, very mm. uh, kind woman who just said that basically she, recently she said it's gotten better, but you know, she's lived in fear for years and she goes back and forth thinking like, is it someone they knew? Meaning that like someone I also know, um, or was this a random stranger? And she said, she doesn't know what actually terrifies her more. And it was just up until maybe I think three or four years ago, she'll say that she wouldn't even have the blinds open in her home at all. You know, it's caused her to live in, in, in fear. Um, but I don't know. There's, there's a lot to this one. It's just, it's not, it's not the norm for an elderly couple to be killed in this manner. And then the after the aftercare um, mm-hmm. with that, the amount of time, I just, I don't know if that's because you feel comfortable because mm-hmm. you've been there enough or you're really just that bold. I mean, you know, I don't, yeah. or to leave and then come back. I mean, and you know, and then there's also the, and I know that I'm just kind of going on a tangent about it now, but like, there's also the idea of being with these bodies for that long, like being yeah. very proud of what you've done. Yeah. You can't not have that feeling to be in there for that long. Yeah. And taking joy in it and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. So yeah. Or if they have been in and out of there and they notice that basically the neighbors that are supposedly close proximity were older or everything kind of shuts down by eight o'clock. Most of the lights are out. Or, you know what I mean? Like, so <clears throat> if they're going in and out of this building. They know for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quiet. And if I am confronted with someone, are they going to be older or are they going to, you know, you get the lay of the land, you kind of get to understand, am I in a college uh, apartments? Like we've talked about in yeah. the past. Or am I rolling through an area where dudes have probably got guns in their waistbands and to blow my head off if right. I'm a criminal? So, right. But, I feel like it, this yeah. was a very quiet um, yeah. residential condo area. Everybody was probably lights out by 10 p.m., you know, yeah. and it was probably quiet till 6 a.m., you know, and um, not a lot of stirring going on. So, uh, I feel that they felt confident. And also, you know, we talk about all the time how quickly technology has changed and continues to evolve. But in 2011, people didn't have a ring camera on every door. Right. So yeah. someone coming yeah. and going mm-hmm. once or twice could be done mm-hmm. if there's no security guard in a booth, which there wasn't. Um, I mean, outside of your yeah. headlights, maybe being noticed, which no one has said that they saw anyone coming or yeah. going. Um, yeah. Prior, I mean, prior to ring uh, cameras, you do a canvas and you often wouldn't find even a witness or anybody that heard anything. Yeah. Then you pull ring cameras and people are at home and still they don't see it. Yeah. But obviously their camera facing outside does. So it was very slim before to try to find a witness. Now you do have a lot of ring cameras. So something like this in current day, you know, you probably would have a lot more leads very quickly because of the ring cameras. You'd Mm. see someone coming up, especially if they came up at night. I mean, we're assuming they came at night, but we don't know when they got buzzed in. We just know when she was murdered because of a medical device. Do you know that I never even considered that? 
it's okay. I'm 20 years retired, you know, homicide gang. I'm just kidding. Do you hear how he talks to me? That was my Yahtzee voice, like when I went Yahtzee. No, I did make a note of that, that we keep everything referring to. Nighttime. Nighttime and her, because we're assuming the killer gets in and kills them, but that person. Like they could have come for dinner. Yeah, at five o'clock and just chill until whenever they decide they're going to do the murder. So. Somehow that's actually way creepier. Well, yeah. Not somehow, but. No, yeah. Crazy. Uh, well, hey, I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked me to be on tonight. I did. <laughs> uh, I am sorry that uh, I screwed up the sticker thing for Bosco. Well, evidently I did too. He said he Sent did. Anybody, the... Carly, did you get yours yet? Whoever asked, whoever sent their address. I mean, I think what, what day was that? Thursday. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to remember what day they went out, but I think it was. Yeah. Whatever day I said they were going out, they went out the next day. You can kind of always bank on that. <laughs> okay, so she said she has it, probably because of New Year's Day. Yeah. So probably tomorrow, because I think it was Thursday. Also, for the record, I, I was joking. I hope everybody knows that. What? When I was being so, About how you talk to me? I'm so hateful to you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that, um, no I, I think they'll solve that one. I don't think that you would see that much activity on the detective talking and doing interviews. So if they didn't feel a little confident, I feel good about it too. I really, really do actually. Um, I think even more so now than I did a year ago when I talked about it. Um, I don't know why, but it just feels, Mm -hmm. it feels like that. And I surely hope so. But um, wait, Faulkner. No, I sent you. I sent you yours. You just haven't gotten them yet. I mailed you yours. Stop it. The only thing you haven't gotten is your contest winning merch, which you will get as soon as I put merch out. Bill uh, Schofield was in earlier. Oh yeah, I saw him in the comments. I, I can read y'all. I just can't respond. I'll figure that out. <laughs> At some point, I'll figure that. Te- I'll figure that technology out. Um. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, are you done? Do you have anything more to add? I could talk all night. You know I could. I know. But I, but I won't do that because this is your show. And you want to stay on topic. Hey, have you been listening to any good music lately? Music? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm laughing at Brittany. Uh and Carly said, someone give BC a new age phone for Christmas. I do have to get a new phone. Uh, it's only about five years old, probably. If y'all knew the amount, like the volume of pictures, like <laughs> all like pictures from when he was a kid, pictures from when, like, but all of his volumes are just on his phone. So literally it'll be like, oh, did you check this? Or did you check this out? Or ooh, hop on this app and look at, and it'll be like, hang on. Because he's got to, like, delete two apps <laughs> to get the new app to do the thing. So, the fact that the fact that he's, like, on here speaking in real time. I'm a, I'm a frugal person, and I do not do well with technology. You do fine. I'm getting there. You are. I'm, yeah. You are. Well, I hope you guys, um, the jitterbug. 
Hey, James. <laughs> we hung out with James the other night at a cool yes, new place here in town. Yeah. If y'all, you guys, all of y'all in the chats, why don't like, why don't y'all come hang out with us on the East Coast? The well, weather's we, nice. Didn't we say we were going to throw a party at a bonfire? Or yeah. We, we got to give people time. All these people live in like a tundra. Um, what's a good time for everybody? To, the summertime, I guess. To come out. Don't when ask do y'all want to come out? We just throw a, a big party. Y'all I like that idea. Know. I mean, I really do. We'll yeah, 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 that'd be fun. Invite everybody out. <laughs> Carly said it's a hundred bucks each direction for the corgi seat. Uh, okay, Jake, you can get here. I know exactly where you live. <laughs> Teresa, look, we just did in the past three and a half, four weeks, two trips that were 10 hour drives. That actually were 11 or 12 hour drives. 12. So I'm with you. I know exactly. And back, like, like in back, 72 back. hours. Um, so, but, but, and Jake, had we been there longer than 72 hours, we would have seen you. Definitely. So we wanted to. Yeah, I mean, we basically and Davey. slid in, said, hey, mm -hmm. right. I had to come back. Um, I was a super spreader. Well, I could, no, it's COVID term. Oh. <laughs> weird. But could y'all only imagine what a 10-hour uh, car ride is like with us talking <laughs> the entire time, pretty much? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, Bosco said he's close. Yeah, seriously, we just we'll pick a we'll pick a day. All right, all right, we'll have to do it. Well, y'all, um, it was good. I was in like a pouty mood earlier, and even though I like knew the case, I was tired, and I've already been off for two weeks, and I was like, I just don't like. I'm tired, and so I'm really glad that uh, we did the thing and yeah. ramped it up and got up here and talked to y'all and um. Yeah. I'm glad you invited me home. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, y'all, look, if you are new to listening, this is uh, Night Shift with Andrea Uplate. It's a true crime podcast. I do focus often on unsolved, but not necessarily that. I actually just saw the Betty and Barney Hill alien case, and there was another um, weird um, house haunting case that I covered a while back that I wouldn't mind to revisit. So mm -hmm. they can always be fun stuff, too, or, you know, I say fun, different oddities if not you know whatnot but usually it's it's unsolved and things like that um but we welcome you here and always of course it's great if you can like or rate review just hit that little star or if you hit download just hit download it doesn't cost anything and that way every time my show drops on um spotify or itunes or whatever it'll just automatically i don't know what it does but in that world of things it does something good for me i guess mm. i don't know so um, go on and night Bosco, go on and, uh, do that. If you would hit subscribe on YouTube on the Andrea Uplate YouTube channel. Also, while you're there, go on and head over to the disruptors, the BC and ski. He's got, um, you've got at Whoa. least one show in the bank that you need to drop. I do. I um, do. <laughs> and another one yeah. coming right up. So they've got yeah. some fun stuff happening over there. So you can do that. Go like them on Instagram, uh, and also follow BC at BC Sanders and, uh, we appreciate y'all so much, and I cannot wait for next week. We will figure out a good one, and I guess until then, we'll see y'all next Tuesday.
Oh. I'm trying. It just takes a while. 